Hello, friends and listeners. Katie and I are currently in the middle of our 14th season of Her Story on the Rocks, and we are getting ready to come upon our 200th regular season episode. Now, that's going to show up in February. However, in March for Women's History Month, we're going to do a live Zoom event that you can get tickets to. Come and hang out with us as we drink, do women's trivia, and have on some of our other favorite podcasts to talk about women's history. More details are going to follow on all of our social medias and on our show. So stay tuned. March 24th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll see you there. Bring a drink. Um, so my toes are still freezing because the heat in my car doesn't work. That's really surprising. I feel like you have a new car. And I got it serviced less than a month ago at the dealership. I think they messed something up when they serviced it. So we're taking it back on Saturday. Oh, good. So you think you should be able to fix it? Yeah. And I think it should, it'll, they'll probably fix it for free too, because we Uh paid for extra stuff when we had it serviced last time. Yeah. Yeah, so you definitely should be. I, it's just so frustrating because this is like a really cold week, so I can like see <sighs> my breath, but the seat warmer works, so like my butt is warm. Well, I don't know about you, but like obviously we both live in cold, cold houses. Yeah. So the car is like my haven from the cold. I was gonna use the phrase <laughs> safe haven. <laughs> I don't even like getting out of bed in the morning because I'm like I'm not gonna be able to go to my warm, warm yeah. car. <laughs> it's <laughs> so. Stupid. That's why, like, you know, today it's a gross rainy day in Baltimore, but I was like, but it's kind of okay because I am warm in my car, uh, which is something I dream about and why it's like hard because like work slows down for me mm-hmm. in the winter. And I'm like, this is the one time I want to be driving so, so much. <laughs> exactly. Because my air conditioning doesn't work. <laughs> so in the summertime, one time I was driving here talking to Paige on the phone so I couldn't have the windows down and I almost passed out. Actually, my phone died because it was so hot. Your shirt was soaked in sweat when you got here. (laughs) (laughs) So those are our car problems. Welcome. Welcome to this podcast, which is not about cars. Uh, It's about (laughs) history on the rocks. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians we aren't we do our best we do our research but we mess stuff up Mm -hmm. and we're willing to admit it yeah as absolutely as you should be too (laughs) so we're um gonna dive in tonight to two ladies one i think you've definitely heard about and the other one i think not so much yes (laughs) that mine's a little bit of a mystery so Mm. i'm excited to talk about her neat neat (laughs) neat okay but you're busy right now so busy you're you know about cars, so you're currently fixing your own heating, air conditioning, whatsoever problems. Hands are covered in grease. Covered in grease. You don't want to go from the car, greasy, touching your phone, clean. So you're listening, and you're like, my goodness, what do these women look like? Yeah. Which you'll definitely need to know for my person. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to describe them for you, we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing, and what does she look like? I am doing the famous, famous soccer 
star Mia Hamm. Hero of my childhood. Uh, of everybody's childhood who was alive in the 1990s. <laughs> Mia is best recognized in a soccer jersey. I'm going to say soccer. I know it's football for the rest of the world. But she's an American player. Yeah. So we can. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'll say both. It, whatever. <laughs> in a soccer jersey with her straight brown hair in a ponytail. She's lean and athletic with really dark brown eyes and hair. She has the definite girl next door look. Mm-hmm. Around the world, we watched her in motion for multiple decades. When she slows down, she's usually seen with her baseball player husband and her couple of kids. Her hair is around collarbone length, and she's typically wearing a bit of a crooked smile. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mia Hamm looks like. <laughs> Who are uh, you doing, and what does she look like? I loved Mia because she looked like me. Uh, that's part of the story. Every girl <laughs> yeah. loved her. And when I say every girl, I mean the t- traditional, yeah. like, American, like, I, what is it, like, 75% of the children in America are white girls with brown hair. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God. And yet we had one Barbie growing up, and her name was <laughs> Teresa. Um, <laughs> all the black girls like, is that hard for you? <laughs> Every girl of color is like, I'm so sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Um, okay, so I am doing Sedna, the water goddess. Sedna is an Inuit goddess who has long black hair that sometimes has sea creatures coming out of it. She has the torso of a woman, but the bottom of a fish. Sometimes she is wearing a traditional uh, native Arctic parka, and other times she is bare-chested. But always she is pictured swimming in the cold Arctic sea with sea creatures surrounding her. Hmm. And she also has one more very defining trait. Her fingers have been cut off and in their place are the various sea creatures that exist in the Arctic ocean. That's creepy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How does she use her hands then? She like grows the sea creatures out of them. That's where all the animals come from. Oh, I see. And also someone said something really interesting on like one of the message boards I was looking at. Um, cause there wasn't a ton of information, <laughs> Surprise! um, but they were like, I wonder if her not having fingers is also kind of part of her connection with the animals. Cause they all have flippers mm, and like, okay. I kind of love that theory yeah. of like, yeah, that's kind of why like she's the mother of them because they share this trait in common. Oh, interesting. So yeah. So that is what Sedna, the water goddess looks like. I can't and- wait to learn more about her. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to know what you're drinking? Yes, I am. Okay, so this is called a yellow card, and it is an ounce and a half of tequila, fresh lime juice, orange juice, and cilantro chopped up on top and just, like, scattered about. Cilantro. Yeah. Okay. Um, So it's a pretty easy one, just three ingredients. Mm. Well, cheers. Cheers. It's really good. It tastes like a margarita, <laughs> as it should. Yeah. Yeah, it does taste like a margarita. There isn't any um, salt, mm-hmm. and there isn't any, um, like, orange liqueur. Mm-hmm. So it's just straight up tequila, lime, and orange juice. So it's, like, a little <laughs> bit, you know. I like it. And I love the cilantro. I mean, I'm a cilantro lover, mm-hmm. so I think it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell me what you know about Mia. I know that as, again, like I said, a young, white, brown-haired girl (laughs) growing up in America in the 90s who played soccer, Mm -hmm. um, she was my idol. Every girl my age just fucking loved her so much because she was like the first 
I mean, for me, she was the first soccer celebrity, mm -hmm. you know, because for a while it's like uh, American men's soccer has never been super huge here, you know, mm -mm. but I feel like for me, like the women playing soccer were always being talked about yes. in my life, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, so I just, I don't know. I loved her very much. So yes. I know that she played soccer. I know she's like one of the best and she was very influential in like making soccer popular for young girls. Yes. Specifically in America. Yeah, so in like America. if anybody's mm -hmm. not from the United States, I'm sure you probably know this, but like our men's soccer team is like average at best. <laughs> our women's soccer team wins a lot yeah. often and always. So yes. like we're, we're, as like a, a country, a lot of present day, like young boys will wear female soccer jerseys yeah. because they're our best players. Mm -hmm. So Mia Hamm started all that. <laughs> so let's discuss. Yes. So first, uh, I read a lot of articles online, but my main source is this documentary that came out in 2004 called Mia Hamm Sports Century. And it came out before it played on television before her last game when she was set to retire. Ugh. So it was like one of those things where, you know, they do like a sports documentary ahead of time and they interview people who have played with you and coaches and family members. Mm -hmm. And it was just so good. I'd mm -hmm. highly suggest it. It's free on YouTube. Okay. Um, I'm going to actually watch it again with my kids because I think it's so inspirational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. As we said, Katie's experience is really a shared experience yeah. for most <laughs> millennial girls. Mia Hamm is considered one of the greatest soccer players of all time. Not one of the greatest female soccer players, not one of the greatest U.S. soccer players, but just one of the greatest soccer players. Over time, she became not just Mia of soccer, but specifically for little girls in the United States and for girls around the world, she became Mia of women's athletics. Yeah. And that's <laughs> like who she is for a second. I thought, like, she wasn't just Mia of soccer. She was Mia Mignonette, Thermopolis, <laughs> oh. Rinaldi. Well, get ready <laughs> for her. Get ready Genovia. for her actual really long Aww. name that she has. But, but, do you want to know it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Her name, Mia Ham's name <laughs> is Marielle Margaret Ham Garcipada. Ooh, very Or Garciapada. <laughs> something like that. It's a hard name. But she was born in Selma, Alabama. In Alabama. Wow. <laughs> in 1972. And she is the fourth of six children. Her dad is Bill Ham, and her mom is Stephanie Ham. As a toddler, she wore corrective shoes for a club foot. Really? And as the story goes, when the braces came off, she never stopped moving. Mm. Um, technically, Mia was the third of four daughters but when she was around seven her parents adopted two young boys mm. one of which was older than her so she also has two brothers Mia spent her childhood on various Air Force bases around the world with her family. While living in Florence, Italy, Mia played soccer for her first time while she was just, you know, out with the kids on the Air Force base, which is also interesting because when I went to Italy, I was in high school and we were like walking around the neighborhood at night and there were some kids on a random field playing soccer and we stopped and played with them. And <gasps> none so of us cool. like spoke the same language, but we were like, I mean, they knew more English than we knew Italian, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but we were playing and then we taught them how to play ultimate frisbee <laughs> um which is not a sport and i will take that to the grave <laughs> i will fight ultimate frisbee is not a sport and it's terrible okay um, because soccer is hugely popular in Italy, her whole family quickly became involved in the sport, even though they're all the girls are all still very young. Um, I also imagine that, you know, this is a common game on military bases because kids around the world play soccer. That's a good point. Yeah. And you don't need much. Right. Just know? a ball. Really, you can Literally make goals out of anything. And yeah. I then I was thinking about it. And our cousin June was mm-hmm. really great at soccer. And she so was, was her dad. And they were yeah. both military people. So I wonder if it's just something yeah. you do because it's a sport people have in common. Yeah. Oh, and George. George is yeah. a very good goalie. And that's what I, I just think it's probably something you play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, at the age of five, they're living in Texas on the base and Mia joins her first soccer team and her father coached her team and the team of her newly adopted eight-year-old brother, Garrett. Her mom was so interesting. Like, her dad is involved. He's Air Force and a coach. Her mom is a dancer, but, like, originally wanted to be a nun. (laughs) So, like, there is, like, they're so interesting. Her dad was a fighter pilot. But they were so humble. Like, her family hosted people from around the world to come and live in their home when they were, like, Um, traveling or out on missions trips and they would eat unseasoned food so that they would understand how like people around the world lived with no extras or like glitz and glamour and I think that's so important because most athletes are brought up to think that they're the shit Mm. but not Mia even though she's like the best female soccer player in the world she was brought up to believe that she is not better than anyone Mm mm-hmm and she still today says that she deeply wants to be her parents and thinks that they're wonderful people, mm. which I think is so sweet. In 1977, when Mia's brother Garrett was adopted, she finally found her kindred spirit. She had had her sisters, but at that point, girls didn't just, and it's so hard to think about this, girls didn't just run outside and join in the neighborhood sports games. Mm, yeah. Like, The boys would have their sports games and the girls did other stuff. But because her older brother was running outside to play sports, it gave her the opportunity to jump in. And he was also like really great with her. So he would go out and nobody would pick her for their team, but he would pick her on Mm. his team. And then like if they were playing football, he would purposely throw her a pass so that she could like be joined in the game. What a sweetie. I yeah. love that. He was so sweet and so influential to her. They were like two peas in a pod from the time he was adopted. And he was also a standout athlete in baseball and football. From uh, then on, she was a consistent presence on the playground she had no fear she would jump into any game and she really held her own and the thing about Mia and I remember your dad saying this before um that you know you're a good athlete when you hate losing more than you like winning yeah it's very it's like (laughs) your passion is just like I will not lose I hate it (laughs) and her parents say that this is also like you her parents say that like every emotion was like fully her emotion her joy, her anger, her sadness. Like when she was mad, she w- her face would turn purple with anger. And when she was happy, she was like the most joyous little bubble. Wow. I wonder if me and I should have like the same therapist. <laughs> Maybe you I'm should. Still <laughs> dealing with. <laughs> I think this is exactly who you are. <laughs> I was just telling producer before we started recording, so just having on in the house. I 
how to blow up at a stranger oh, after no. a family dinner. After oh, a family no. dinner. On, on, on the street? Sunday? On the street? Yes! <laughs> my worst moment. <laughs> I hate myself. You just yelled at a stranger? Uh, it's a little more complicated than that. Oh, okay. I'll tell you the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But off mic, off mic. <laughs> Who's going the wrong way up a one-way okay. street? Yeah, don't okay. do that. That's not okay. Anyways. <laughs> and he needed to be told. Uh, well, because of that behavior, her family stopped playing board games with her. So, Katie, no wonder you don't play enough board games with people. <laughs> I haven't played a game with Jake since Christmas three years ago. Because you'll throw games across the room. It's like <laughs> he made me so mad by getting my answer that I should have gotten. <laughs> Anyways. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. So Mia also excelled as a football player, but like an American football player. Mm -hmm. She was on the boys team at her junior high school. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, where she played split end and defensive back. And like she never really thought that she was this hotshot little girl. But the, the TV, like the news back then was like, oh, my God, a girl playing football. So they came to her middle school and interviewed her. And her sister was like, I hope you know you're not a hot shot now. And she went to her room and cried because she was like, I hope people don't think that I think too highly of myself. (laughs) She's just so, so humble. See, and because of her, one of my favorite scenes from The Simpsons ever is when Lisa's like, that's right, a girl wants to be on the football team. And Ned's like, great, Janie. We have like a whole bunch. (laughs) Join the crew. Uh, Janie and Terry are already a part of it. Like, go with, throw some passes. She's like, oh, well. Well, now I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't want, want to be on the team unless it's a statement. <laughs> um, but, I mean, she's playing in high school. She's playing soccer in high school, which is kind of unfair um, because she's kind of already being, like, scouted for, like, Olympic mm-hmm. teams, like, when she is 14 <laughs> years old. So coaches are coming to see her play. And one coach in particular is like, don't tell me which one Mia is. I just want to watch and find out. And he <sighs> says he knew in 15 seconds <laughs> which player Mia Ham was. So by... 1987 she isn't just playing at her local high school she's playing on a largest larger stage she's asked to play at the u.s olympic festival for the united states women's national team she's the youngest player of all time to be picked for the national team at 15 years old she's a sophomore in high school (laughs) going to play on the women's national team she is michael phelps (laughs) exactly who she thinks she is Um, even though she was a new player, she often started as forward and it was great for her because she was finally playing with people who took the game as seriously as she did. Mm-hmm. And these are college women, you know, so she moves to Virginia to live with her aunt so that she can do this. But she's also still playing in high school her senior year, which I believe is hugely unfair. <laughs> um, and the other teams are double and triple like uh, teaming her, but they just can't stop her no matter what. Before I move on, I um I can't talk about her soccer career in a chronological line because yeah. so many soccer tournaments are every four years. So I just want to be clear that she's on all of these teams at the same time. Yeah. From uh-huh. 1987 to 2004, she did all of the following. So as I said, she's playing for her high school and on the women's national team. But after she graduates a year early, may I add, from high school, before she goes on to be in four FIFA tournaments and three Olympics, she is playing at the University of North Carolina, where she helped the Tar Heels win four NCAA division (laughs) championships. And 
she was on the team for five years, but one year she had to um, redshirt while she was playing for like FIFA. So Uh she could like be on the team, but wasn't allowed to play. (laughs) Um, But of the 95 games that she played for North Carolina, her team only lost one of them. So she had almost a perfect record playing for North Carolina. And the coach said that one day he is, you know, driving around campus. It's early in the morning. It's cold as could be. And he, out of the corner of his eye, sees this woman on the field. And she's running back and forth, like doing sprints and, you know, huffing and puffing and bent over in exhaustion. And he looks up and realizes it's Mia Hamm. All by herself out super early in the morning practicing. And he said that's the vision of a champion. Someone who's exhausted when no one's watching. Let me tell you, one of the most inspirational quotes I have ever heard is comes at the end of an Under Armour commercial. <laughs> and, <laughs> of course. It's like all the gymnasts and they're working so hard. And then it pans out and it's like totally dark at the gym. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's what you do in the dark that makes you like shine in the light or yeah. something like that. Amazing. But like I always think about that. It's like that extra kind of effort you mm-hmm. put in you know that like no one's asking you to do right that is not a team sanctioned <laughs> sprint no you're not going home and like vegging out on the couch which yeah. like granted some, you need that some days <gasps> yeah. but like there are you know people who are really dedicated to a sport like this it's not just like they didn't just like go to high school and magically get good yeah like mm-hmm. they're crazy dedicated mm-hmm. so um, while she's playing for North Carolina in college, she earns all American. She's named the ACC player uh, of the year for three years in a row. She's named the ACC female athlete in 1993 and 1994. She graduates from North Carolina in 1994 uh, with a record number of goals scored and assist of all the men and women. And she and Michael Jordan were named the two best athletes from North Carolina <laughs> of all time. So, Tar Heels, good for you. (laughs) She, um, so let's talk about FIFA first. I'm going to do all the FIFA World Cups and then all the Olympics. Okay. She played in the World Cup in 1991, 1995, 1999, and 2003. In 1991, this was the inaugural FIFA World Cup for women. Um, and in for us women where we joined the fifa world cup and it was played in china she was the youngest player on the team at 19 years old in her first match she scored the game winning goal and during um the u.s ladies first time at the world cup they came away with the championship Mm. so this is what you're talking about katie where it's Mm -hmm. like we grew up knowing that female soccer in the u.s was a powerhouse yeah while being part of the women's national team and the FIFA World Cup team, she's also, like I said, a member of her college team. So that's when she is redshirting. In 1995, she enters her second World Cup in Sweden. Again, in the first game, she scores a goal. And in the World Cup, she even, this World Cup, she even played keeper for a few minutes when the goalie got a red card and had to be <laughs> taken off of the field. Uh, in this cup, the U.S. was eventually eventually defeated but they captured third place in the tournament around the year 1995 mia marries her college sweetheart christian Corey, who was a helicopter pilot in the marine corps so she gets married to him then 1999 comes around and mia breaks the all-time record for international goals scored with 108 at that point uh, with a goal against Brazil. And everybody mm. stops and is like cheering and everybody in the crowd has big signs that say like 108. So this is of men and women, just mm-hmm. international goal scored ever. 
the World Cup was played in China after playing for 90 minutes in this game. This is the World Cup final. Um, the game's entirely scoreless. They go into overtime and play for 30 minutes sudden death, <sighs> entirely scoreless. So it's going to come down to penalty kicks. <sighs> and she is selected as one of the penalty uh-huh. kickers and is, of course, like, no. Like, why isn't Shannon taking a kick? Shannon should take a kick. Yeah. And uh, the coaches are like, no, Mia, you are taking your our best score. Like, yeah. <laughs> Why she just is always not she's thinking mm-hmm. like team mindset all the time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, five kicks per team, one by Mia Ham. She knocks it in. China misses one, and they win again the gold medal oh. at the 1999 World Cup. But immediately following the match, Mia collapses in the locker rooms from severe hydration because at that point she had played for two hours you know, on the field and then had to do a penalty kick, but she just so stressed. Oh my God. (laughs) The stress of it. And then she slept for 12 hours before she joined her team in Disneyland for the celebration and the rally and the photo shoot where she meets with president Clinton and Hillary and Chelsea and the whole crew. (laughs) So she just like this cemented her as a soccer icon. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, like, I like to point out is, like, sometimes younger players on the team would be like, God, Mia's so cold and distant. But people who've played with her since 1991 are like, she's not. She just has more pressure. Yeah. Like, even if she scored no goals mm-hmm. and another girl got a hat trick, they wanted her for the post-game interview. Right. They didn't want somebody else. So she had to be on all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for her. Yeah. Um. She would get really mad at herself uh, if she messed up. And anytime she was seen yelling on the field, she was not yelling at other people. She'd be like, God, Mia, get it together. (laughs) She's yelling at herself. If she had a bad day in soccer, she had a bad day in everything else. One time she didn't score for seven games in a row. And she like barged in the coach's office, like bawling, like I'm the worst soccer player of all time, blah, blah, blah. In the next game she scored and you can kind of see her running down the field and motioning like she's taking something off her back like it was a burden and it's just like you could tell she's so dedicated it's bananas um and also if somebody said good game to her after she felt like she played shitty that was like a super insult we are the same person Uh uh i knew it but i didn't know it at this level Level. like you guys have the same personality screamed at a coach one time because she was like Guys, good job. And I was like, it wasn't a good job. It's like, we played so bad. Yeah, it was terrible. And like, I always said that because like, I, there's a co- little cross coach I had who I fucking loved. Yeah. And I always told people like, if Kate Mangione says that you played a good game, you must have really played a fucking good game. Because right. Because she didn't hand compliments out to anybody, which yeah. I appreciate. You know, I agree. I mean, I'd rather get a B from a professor who made me work for it yes. than like an A that I feel like I just coasted through. Yes. A hundred percent. So true. Oh my gosh. So her final world cup was in 2003. Um, she stated that it would be her last world cup. Um, she got three assists. She was like the queen of assists. Um, but this was a different type of world cup for Mia. She was rested, you know, for an easy game. She was just older. Um, she missed a penalty kick at one point and eventually the team came in third place. Mm-hmm. So in her four, she has two golds and two bronzes. So her world cup stats are high yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of the world. 
during this time, Mia became a staple of American culture and soccer culture. There would be traffic on the way to women's soccer games because you couldn't get into the stadium. And that's unheard of in America for women's yeah. sports. She was not only talented, but she was gorgeous in a natural way. She gave young girls the courage to go into a whole bunch of sports because they looked at her and said, she looks like me. She's the girl next door. And she really opened the door for the strong is beautiful. She's the first person to really do that for mm -hmm. us in a meaningful, like pop culture way. Mm -hmm. um, people would scream for Mia from the moment she got off the bus with her team till the moment she got back on. And one of her teammates said, this is all lovingly though. When they were talking about her, they were like, it was deafening the people screaming <laughs> Mia when we would get off the bus. And I mean, some people like um, Brandy Chestain played with her, her whole life yeah. like all of these games she was there and also a very big offensive scorer yeah. so it, it's interesting to hear like mm -hmm. them talk about her she was like I would be signing an autograph for a little girl and they would see Mia run by and take the paper <laughs> out of my hand so that Mia Ham could sign it um and it's just she made being great at soccer look so easy mm -hmm. um and she made people forget that she had teammates <laughs> it was just like Mia Hamm and the Which world is also like not her team. fault too it it's isn't. like when I like too that as soon you know obviously she was always very humble like mm -hmm. you know whatever but she also didn't stop herself no she's like I'm not just gonna also like play back because I want my teammates to shine too right it's like no no I'm still gonna play as hard as I like you know I will be humble right but I will not play humble. I won't lose yeah I won't lose yeah mm -hmm. and and what's interesting is she did have the top number of international goals but she's also a record keeper for number of assists oh, so she does pass the ball away if it's a better chance at winning yeah so like she's very calculated in what she does and there are a lot of interviews where I, I was watching a lot of interviews with her where they were like Mia how'd you do it how's it feel to win again and every time she'd say I'd like to point out that I was not out there alone and I'm mm. honored to be on this team with these women mm -hmm. like so she always brings it back to her team if she yeah. needs to. Mm. So let's talk about the Olympics. <laughs> Obviously, these are the alternating four years uh -huh. with the um, FIFA World Cup. So her first one was in 1996 in Atlanta. And this was the first ever Olympic tournament that included women's soccer mm -hmm. in 1996. So we're alive for that time. Mia is playing despite having a foot and groin injury, which there was another <laughs> famous foot injury by <laughs> Carrie Shrug in that Olympics. Oh, it's funny because I thought you were going to say that another famous groin industry because that uh, was that, uh, Michelle Kwan. Yes. Yes. Also had a famous yes, groin so injury. I, I think that Olympics was riddled with female injuries. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, Mia went down hard in one of those games, but she oh, was a Christy Yamaguchi. It might've been, we did, we covered her, right? Yes, we did. Yamaguchi. Okay. Yeah. That's who it was. Yeah. It was Christy Yamaguchi. Um, and then Carrie Shrug obviously did the vault where she landed on her ankle wrong. Unreal. And then did it again. Yeah. Well, Mia did the same thing. She went yeah. down and then played in the next game with a like so foot Girls and aren't floppers. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Yeah. About not soccer. floppers. Females don't flop in the game of soccer. <laughs> Um, the final gold medal match was witnessed by 76,481 fans, which was the largest Olympic soccer crowd in history and the largest crowd for a women's sport event in the U.S. ever. She Crazy. walked away from her first ever Olympic Games with a gold medal. <sighs> 
which is great. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, at the first Olympic Games, though, uh, she found out or they had known for a little bit that her brother was really sick. He Garrett, the one that she was very mm-hmm. close with, he had insufficient like blood platelets um and he needed a transplant like a a donor um which like bone marrow and like blood transplants are like yeah. transfusions are really hard to get he was married at the time and had a kid and was just so 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 sick he had to stop playing his sports um he actually had to be helped into the olympic stadium to watch his sister oh my gosh at this like mia hated soccer she was like i want to stop playing i just want to be with my family he's so so sick um he did end up getting a transfusion but it got infected and two months after that at 28 years old he passed away uh, she had a game shortly after that that she went to to play and people were like, why are you here? And she was like, he had to stop playing sports because of his illness and like, I'm not going to stop. And she went into the game and scored a goal within 43 seconds. <laughs> of course, <laughs> because she was taking the anger out on the field. Yep. <laughs> In the 2000 Summer Olympics, they were in Sydney, and that's the first one Michael Phelps is in when he's yeah, just a little baby. A baby from Baltimore. <laughs> baby Phelps. Um, and Mia earned um, another record of more international goals during this game. Unfortunately, the U.S. was defeated in the final match against Norway, and you can see her, like, crying on the medal stand. She's, like, so pissed. Like, even, <laughs> even by the time they're getting their medals, like, she's still angry. Yeah. Um, this was the year, 2001, when her and her college sweetheart actually got divorced. They'd been married for six years, but they practically never lived together because he's the pilot and she plays professional soccer. So it was really taking a toll on their marriage that they never lived together. And she was a really private person mm-hmm. and felt really bad that everybody knew about this like event in her life, this mm-hmm. failed marriage. And she's also now on the DC freedom. So this was a very short lived thing in the U S <laughs> where we had a professional women's soccer league. It only lasted for two years and she was in a founding team, the DC freedom. But, um, like it was hard because up to that point she had played on only the women's national team, which are the best players mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. And now she was like marketed and promoted as the best You know what I mean? Like the only player on the team and she couldn't really share the burden with them the same way. So she describes or her sisters describe one moment where she like sprints and takes off to get the ball. She catches the ball and turns around to pass it and nobody else was there. They like weren't trying as hard or just weren't up to the level that she was. Yeah. I feel like there's a 30 for 30 on this soccer league. Oh, I bet. I think there is. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because there was, at some point, like they, the higher ups kind of like made it fail. Yeah. Like it could have been something great. And the people with the funding just pulled out. Yeah. And it, and like, oh, I remember now. It was because they weren't profitable in their first year. Who's and it's like, profitable no in business their first is. Year. Yeah. Come on. Literally no business yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And like, but they had, they were like, almost profitable though right and like that was what was frustrating is they're like nope wasn't you know didn't make a profit in the first year so like we're pulling the plug which they would 
they were like, the NFL like never makes a profit. Or whatever yeah, they're a nonprofit <laughs> organization. Yeah, Did you exactly. know that? <laughs> it's terrible. Exactly. And it's yeah. like you're not even going to give these women a shot. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a great 30 for 30. Yeah, 30 though. for 30s are all good. Oh, perfect. Everyone. Perfect perfect documentary series. <laughs> um, she obviously is con- considered the best athlete mm. in the whole league. <laughs> yeah. um, and of the 21 games that were aired that season, she was in 19 of them. Because why <laughs> air a game if Mia Hamm's not in it? Um, but everybody loves her mm-hmm. everywhere in the world. I mean, she played a game in Mexico and they called it Cinco de Mia. <laughs> I was like, okay. God, that's what the cocktail should have been called. Oh, no. Cinco de Okay, let's change it. Cinco de Mia. <laughs> okay. But at this point, she'd been divorced for a while, and she starts dating um, Red Sox shortstop Nomar, who, like, is a very fucking famous. Uh, and they met at a promotional event where he, like, came out, and they did, like, a shootout together. But it's really cute. Like, there's, like, a whole bunch of footage of them just, like, kind of kicking a soccer ball around. It's That's really so sweet. Cute. And one thing that was great is she had always really hated the spotlight and wasn't good at it, but he was a, you know, a really really famous baseball player and he was good at dealing with the press and he taught her how to handle it in a really great way because he handles his notoriety very very well yeah so they finally got remarried in 2003 and they happily have three children right now I'm looking at the pictures of them. They're so Aren't they cute. adorable? I, I know. I love this picture of them sitting crisscross apple, applesauce on a soccer pitch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because she has a celebrity game every year for her foundation Ugh. where people come and play. I love that. So in 2004, Mia was selected um, by her fellow Olympians to carry the American flag during the closing ceremony (gasps) because she had announced her retirement and knew that, like, this was going to be – this Olympics was really going to be her last. Mm -hmm. She was older as a soccer player by this point, but she's still scoring and assisting during an overtime gold medal match – Mia served a final assist to Heather O'Reilly, who scored the game-winning goal. After the final whistle was blown, knowing it was her last game, her teammates swarmed her to celebrate and, like, hug her and, like, throw her up in the air. Um, The game was not the exact last for Mia because she and also the Fab Five, which are the other four girls who'd been on the team with her since 1991, did, like, a 10-game, like, farewell tour um, for FIFA. Um, so she announces her retirement and this is after the Athens games and she's 32 years old at her last match and had scored 158 international goals. (laughs) That is so many goals for soccer. Especially because soccer, there aren't a lot of goals. There aren't. (laughs) It's crazy. She doesn't hold that record anymore, but she Mm -hmm. is in third place and that's of any man or woman ever still. Still, that's almost a 20-year-old record. That's crazy. In 2007, Mia gave birth to twin girls, Grace Isabella and Ava Caroline. They were born five weeks early, each only weighing five pounds. Mm. More recently, in 2012, she gave birth to a son and named him after her brother, Garrett. 
Um, to use her fame for good, Mia started a foundation called the Mia Ham Foundation following the death of her brother. And she became really dedicated to creating awareness and raising funds for families who need bone marrow or cord blood transplants. This organization also focuses on empowering women and female athletes. And um, Mia hosts not only an annual celebrity match, but also um, an annual soccer match for kids with cancer so they can come out and play together. And it's really sweet to see them like running up and hugging Mia Hamm because I mean, there are other very, very famous female soccer players right now. Obviously, Brandi Chastain, Hope Solo. There's so Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody knows their names. I'm hard pressed to name a male athlete, a male soccer player. Um, And I watched the Men's World Cup. Yeah. And I don't remember any of the doesn't matter and i know the boys i know the boys (laughs) or i know the girlies Mm -hmm. um she is regarded as one of the greatest soccer players of all time she's dynamic and gifted with speed and skill and she's agile and was very capable at assisting her teammates but the really cool thing about mia that changed american culture is that she was the most marketable female player and as katie brought up earlier People aren't willing to spend money on female athletes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she was representing all of the young girls was very important. She has deals with Gator or had and still has with some of them deals with Gatorade, Nike, Pepsi, Nabisco, Powerade, Wheaties and Mattel when they came out with their first soccer Barbie. Um, her Gatorade commercial was with Michael Jordan and I loved it. Remember it was that anything you can do, I can do better. That was a great commercial that I loved as a child. So many memories flooding back to me. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the Nintendo 64 came out with a Mia Hamm soccer game, which I think is so cool because like their football, they have a football game named after um, like Madden. Yeah. John yeah. Madden. Mm-hmm. So it's called Mia Hamm soccer, the <laughs> Nintendo game. Which, you know, mostly little boys are video gamers. So it's like they're playing this. Uh, She was on David Letterman, Rosie O'Donnell, The Tonight Show, Today, Good Morning America, Oprah Winfrey. She was mentioned on an episode of Friends. And if you were alive in the 90s, that's all that mattered. (laughs) (laughs) She, even during the 2015 World Cup, went uh, as a spectator and sat next to then Vice President and Vice President's wife, the Bidens. (laughs) She, uh, like I said, is currently married with three children. She's a global ambassador for FC Barcelona. She wrote Go for the Goal, a champion's guide to winning in soccer and life. She was put on or in the National Soccer Hall of Fame and is the co-owner of the Los Angeles Major League Soccer Team, which is like a big deal because not a lot of women own teams. Yeah. She is an all-around great athlete and good person. The impact of this is that Mia earned the respect of a nation as an athlete and not just as a female athlete. And that is Mia Hamm's story. I know it was a lot of soccer jargon, but I tried to splice it in with some personal fun. I loved that so much. It's, I mean, she's so refreshing. Yes. I can't suggest the documentary I watched on YouTube more. A. Somebody just recorded it off of TV at one point and all of the old commercials are in it. Like they are not cut out. So that's the number one reason to watch it. That was my favorite part about all of the things that we had as kids because my mom would like record (laughs) literally all of the Disney movies, like not all of them, obviously, because I had the classic clamshells. Right. Um, But with the little black diamond on them. Oh, yeah. The classics. But 
when we would when uh, the magic of Disney would come on on like what was a Friday night? Yeah, you'd record it. Yeah, we'd record it on and a then VHS. All the commercials would be on there. Yeah, and you would know what commercial was coming. At, yeah, like after you could recite the commercial just Her like knows yeah. Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> she is really tough. That's yeah. a McDonald's commercial right. that made me cry because it was crazy. about a teacher's. Just like what I'm saying. Maybe that's why I love teachers who disapprove of me. Right. Because it was all about this teacher who was like really tough on the kids. But then at the end of the school year, they're like, you're the best teacher I ever had. Yeah, you taught me something. You, cause, yeah, because they, they, <laughs> they learned. Ta, 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 ta. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's me a ham. Hope you enjoyed. I did. Let's so get much. another drink. <laughs> We're back with part two, another cocktail. This one is very nautical. It's very <laughs> pretty. I love like a themey cocktail. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So do you want to know what it is that you're drinking this evening? I would absolutely love it. <laughs> so this cocktail is called a mermaid scorned. Ooh. <laughs> it is an ounce and a half of vodka, an ounce of blue curacao, half an ounce of actually no half an ounce of blue curacao, half an ounce of limoncello. And you top the whole thing off with Blue Moon or another kind of like hazy citrusy IPA. And then you garnish it with Swedish fish. Perfect. (laughs) Cheers. It is definitely like Hefeweizen E. Yes, you can taste it officially, (laughs) which I love. Hefeweizen is one of my favorite kind of beers. I love it. Producer does not like Blue Moon. I love Blue Moon. I love Blue Moon. Yeah, I think it's so good. So good. (laughs) Obviously, you had it in your house. But I I also had one at a bar. Yeah. (laughs) Because Casey, fiance and I, last night we were like, we went to his grandmother's funeral thing and they were done. And I was like, it's like, I don't, I'm not really ready to go home yet. Mm-hmm. And like, there was not obviously no alcohol served at this thing. And so we decided to go to the bar. We're like, we're going to go to the bar. We're going to play pool. Fun. So we had a drink and then we we're about to play pool. And all these people came in with like their pool, their personal pool cues in like cases. No. Uh-uh. And I was like, I'm not getting involved in this. Nope. Get out. Absolutely get out while not. you still can. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Adios. Okay. Personal pool cue. Wow. Yeah. I don't know that world. Nope. Um, seems weird. It does. Uh, so anyways, what do you know about Sedna, the water goddess? <laughs> so I know that you said she was an Inuit goddess mm-hmm. and from the north. I don't know anything about her at all. You said she had a fishtail. So I have a question. Is it like a mammal tail? Like, does it go up and down like a mermaid or side to side? That's a good question. Yeah. I always wonder, like, because usually when I see like the fish, like the shark mermaid tail, it, mm-hmm. they're like a bad guy. And then when it's right. like the mammal way, they're like a dolphin. They're a good guy. I mean, I think that hers is usually pictured as like a traditional mermaid okay, tail so up like and dolphin, down. Dolphin-esque. Dolphin-esque. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, uh, but I don't know anything about her. I've never heard of her. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about Inuit gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. The North things that I know are usually Viking. Yeah. So. Perfect. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so I got a lot of this information from just like various. I literally just like copy and pasted her story uh, across like from various blogs and stuff. I forgot to write them all down because then my computer crashed and right. I lost all the sites I was on. Oh, no. Which is super annoying. When you have a thousand um, tabs open. I had so many. <laughs> and like, my computer is so old. <laughs> it's like, I want to keep this tab open for when I might use yeah. it in four weeks. <laughs> it's like, why don't I just save it somewhere? 
I do that on my phone too. And I'll be like, well, I want to save this random stupid search about a tortoise that got found in the attic after being lost for 30 years. Right. Exactly. I know what happened. Right. Tortoise got lost, found in the attic. Somehow he survived 30 years. Bananas. I wish it was easier to just flag things. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. There probably is a way. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody tell us what what is the way. We both have iPhones. No Androids here. Okay. Okay. So. Like many ancient myths and legends, the story of Sedna, the water goddess, changes based on where you are across the Arctic and which Inuit community you are a part of. And obviously the Arctic is a pretty big area Mm. with lots of different native Inuit communities living across it. So we're just going to get into the different versions of the story. Okay. So the first one. Beside the Arctic Ocean, there once lived an old widower and his daughter, Sedna, a woman so beautiful that all the Eskimo men sought to live with her. But she found none to her liking and refused all offers. One day, a seabird came to her and promised her a soft life in a warm hut full of bearskins and fish, and so Sedna flew away with him. So in another version of this story, the seabird disguises himself as a handsome hunter. And the father is like, I really want to load my daughter off. So he gives Sedna a sleeping potion and gives her away to the man bird. <laughs> <laughs> but that first one's kind of nice. She like had her own agency. Like yes, I'm trying to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then her dad selling her off kind of sucks. Yes. So in this version where, you know, he's like, I'm promising you a good life. And she's like, yes, I would love that. Um, Sedna goes with him and finds out that the bird kind of lied to her. His home is a stinking nest and she is sitting in this filth in the cold and she is really regretting um, her choices and her rejection of the handsome human men. And that was what Sedna told her father when he visited her a year later. So Anguta, uh, which his name means man with something to cut, put his daughter in his kayak to bring her back to the human world. And perhaps he killed the bird husband first, you know, in some versions. Um, In some other ones, he steals the bird's wife. But in either case, the vengeance of the bird or the bird people followed him after he took Sedna. The rise, so they're in this skin canoe. These birds are attacking them. The sea is rising and they are struggling. And Anguta realizes, he goes, they're not going to leave. They're not going to leave us alive. I need to get rid of her. So he shoves his daughter overboard to drown. Into the Arctic. Into the Arctic. Desperate for life, she grabs onto the kayak with a fierce grip. Her father cuts off her fingers. (gasps) She flings her mutilated arms over the skin boat sides and Guta cuts them off, shoving his oar into Sedna's eye before she sank into the icy water. At the bottom of the sea, she lived thereafter as a queen of the deep, mistress of death and life who provided for the people. Her amputated fingers and arms became the fish and marine mammals, and she alone decided how many could be slaughtered for food. She was willing to provide for the people if they accepted her rules. For three, and then for three days after the death of the animals, the souls of them, the animals would remain with their bodies, watching for violations of Sedna's demands. Then they returned to the goddess, bearing information about the conduct of her people. Should her laws be broken, Sedna's hand would begin to ache. She would punish humans with sickness, starvations, and storms. 
and only if a shaman traveled to her country and leaven and assuaged her pains would the sea mammals return to the hunters, which if the people acted righteously, they did willingly. So it didn't say specifically what her rules are in this story. But it's like but to protect from overfishing, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And it's to respect the animals. Like, right. we'll see that, you know, Sedna wants you to really think about the life that you're taking. Respect. And, like, like we know sacrifice. that, like, yeah. And we know that still today, like, Inuit cultures, like, when they kill, like, a, a seal or a whale or something, like, they use every part <laughs> of that animal. Right. And that's also, like kind of a dedication to Sedna is like not wasting these animals that she's provided for you. Okay. Um, but did her, was her dad trying to save himself or her? I think he was like, either we're both going to die or she's going to die and I can live. Okay. Yeah. Cause so, he was like, they're not going to let us both leave this Island alive. So like, I just need to throw her overboard. That's bananas. Yeah. And so it's important to know a few things before we get into the other versions. So Anguta, her father, is oftentimes just a mortal man, but in some traditions, he is the supreme god. Oh, like Zeus. Yeah. And like in Greek mythology, there is an underworld and it exists under the ocean and it's called Adlivon. Sedna is always the ruler of the underworld and sometimes her father the one who named her is the ferryman and he escorts the souls of the dead to her. So I also wonder if that's kind of like part of his punishment for fucking throwing her into the water and cutting off her hands and her fingers. Um, okay. In another version of her story, during a violent blizzard, a handsome young stranger enters into a family, her family igloo wearing a necklace with two large canine teeth. He is welcomed into the family bed. He sleeps with the family because I'm guessing that, one Obviously. room, one it's room cold. Yeah. yeah, they all have to sleep together to yeah. stay warm. Um, and when they awake the next morning, the young man is gone. And the father sees only animal tracks outside. And he says, we've been deceived. That man must have been my lead dog disguised as a man. So obviously, like, you know, how they're at the dog sleds. Right. The lead dog is the dog at the, at the front. At the front. He's the leader of the pack. Rudolph, one might say. Exactly. <laughs> but when his daughter becomes pregnant... The father is ashamed of what in the world she might produce that was... What did they conceive? What did they conceive? Right. (laughs) Um, So he makes his daughter lie on the back of his kayak while he paddles to a small island where he abandons her. This dad is scoring (laughs) scoring a zero. He is not great. He's scoring a zero right now. I don't like him. So he leaves her on this island, but the lead dog man is still caring for her so every day he swims out to her and he gives her pieces of meat that he finds (laughs) she gives birth to six young three are inuit children but other three have bigger ears and snout like noses Hmm. sedna then sews seal skins into one large slipper she places the three strange dog children uh into the slipper and she pushes them off the island toward the south calling out sorutik tap sink sinik sanavagmu karpusi or you shall be good at making weapons and just abandons them oh my goodness i'm also so ashamed of those pronunciations i should have like put some more spaces in between them that's really hard um some inuits say that european and first nations people are descended from those three dog children and only through them are they related to the inuit 
<laughs> which is interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a split between people. Uh-huh. Uh, also then... kind of some shade being thrown. Yeah. <laughs> That's so rude. Then the father feels bad for abandoning his daughter. So he sets out in the large skin boat, which is called an Umiak. Um, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll go take her off the island. But on their way home, as it always does, a storm rises and it is threatening to capsize the overloaded boat. He decides that he needs to lighten the load, and he's like, you got to go. Even, even like every time, he's like coming to rescue her, and then he goes, eh, it's too much. I'm going to throw you overboard. <laughs> he's a quitter. Yep. So he throws her into the Arctic Ocean. When she tries to climb back in, he cuts off her fingers. These fingers become the seals in the sea. She tries again. He cuts off her hands, which become the walruses. And then she makes one last attempt to climb aboard the boat, and her father cuts off her forearms, which transform into the whales. Which that's also why I think that her tail definitely goes up and down, okay. because she's more in, like, the mammal range. Okay. Like seals, walruses, whales. Um, so now she literally cannot get back into the boat. So she sinks into the depths of the sea and becomes Sedna, or Nuliayuk, or Tali, um, Taluliuk. Uh, she is the woman who controls all sea beasts, and she is half woman, half fish. She is said to hold sea animals entangled in her hair, only to release them when she is appeased by offerings, songs, or a visit from an angok, an angokok, or a shaman. In the net. Silic region, the story states that Sedna was a mistreated orphan, and it was the people of her village that took her out in the kayak and cut off her fingers. And when she drowns in this one, she marries a fish and becomes the sea goddess. Obviously, many songs and poems and stories have been written about Sedna, and this is a little poem that a writer heard on Baffin Island from an old woman telling the stories to her grandchildren, like in the past decade. Whoa. So this story is still being passed on through grandmothers, which I think is so cool. I love that. She said that woman down there beneath the sea, she wants to hide the seals from us. These hunters in the dance house, they cannot mend matters. They cannot mend matters into the spirit world. will go. I where no humans dwell set matters. Right. Will I set matters? Right. Will I, so I feel like in this little poem, we get that, like, she's like, the male hunters are not doing enough to appease Sedna. So I think she's, like, telling the kids, she's like, it's up to, like, us women to, like, honor her and, you know, appease her because they just aren't doing enough because mm. they're doing it just to, like, you know, get more fish, right. you know? And she's like, we should be, from my understanding of this, she's like, we should be going to please her no matter what she gives us, even if she gives us to like a horrible harvest of sea mammals. Well, yeah. And I also think that like the women are really preparing the dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like they are the ones honoring the animals after they've been caught. So yeah, the men aren't doing enough. They're not completing the task of honoring her. They're yep. just taking and not giving back. Yep. So one thing is for certain in every story at some point, Sedna is asking for help, typically clinging to the side of a canoe or a kayak. And someone, usually her father or maybe someone else, uh, she trusts, uh, cuts off her fingers and they turn into sea creatures. And 
there's, which I don't know. There's a lot to get from this story. And like, I don't know if that is kind of like this saying of like, sometimes you have to sacrifice a little bit of yourself to like, you know, please the gods or like, even if something tragic happens to you, something good can come of it. You know, like, I don't know. There's a lot to be learned in this story, I think. Um, but there's also another element of this story, which is Sedna being tricked or coerced or forced into a marriage, hmm. which is the very, very beginning of the story, but it's the start of all of this sadness. In fact, some traditions from the Baffin Island, um, she is called Uinayumayuituk or Unigumi Suituk, a.k.a the one who did not want a husband, hmm. which I think is so interesting that like she's just trying to like live her own life and like maybe she's a little fucking picky. She has every right to be yeah. <laughs> or just doesn't want to get married. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's why all of this hardship falls upon her. Okay. But the most important part about Sedna is that her story ends the same way every time with her controlling the most important thing in Inuit culture, the ocean and the animals that live within it, that the people literally cannot live without. So for the rest of her life, no matter how she was treated, people must show her respect. Shamans must come to her and they must pray to her. Hunters need to sing songs to her and dance for her. And in new seasons, pieces of the liver of the first killed sea mammal are returned to the waters, employing Sedna to release her bounty to the hunters so they may feed their families. And when someone really wants to soothe Sedna, maybe during a time of famine uh, and storm, they can even go into a trance and visit her with a shaman's help. And when they visit her, they must comb her hair with a comb made of bones. Hmm. Charlotte Kaczynski writes, there seems to be no clear picture of whether the goddess was evil or good or perhaps somewhere in between. She was definitely respected by the Inuit, but some feared her while others cherished her. And I wonder if this story has been preserved by the women telling it over time, because we know that women historically have been the story keepers and the culture forwarders and Maybe this was a way for them to pass on the tradition of respecting women and their choices. Because what happens in the end? The woman who is being forced into marriage and then, you know, thrown overboard and had her Sliced fingers up. chopped off. Yeah. You know, she ends up with all the power, hmm. which I love. Yeah. And the story of this woman scorned literally exists across the entire Arctic Ocean. So every community has at least this one woman that affects their behavior. And I think she is still seen as a beacon of strength for Inuit women. We've talked many times about the effect that colonization has had on Native people everywhere. But like Sedna, there are women out there who are still fighting for themselves and fighting for respect and for their people and their traditions. So I'll finish Sedna's story by talking about two women who I think are embodying the spirit of Sedna. 
Now, just to be clear, there are plenty more than just these two, but, you know, I'm going to talk about them. Um, so Kira Flaherty has been spreading awareness about the absolute insane prices of food in her hometown of none of it. She goes into grocery stores and she makes TikToks of food prices so that people can get an idea of, like, what the hell they are dealing with. And that's, like, super high north in Canada, if you don't yeah. know where that is, uh-huh. everybody. Very, very north. Yes, a 40-pound bag of dog food, which normally costs around $45, costs $162. Oh, my there. God. A 12-pack of soda can cost anywhere from $27 to $60. A bag of brown sugar is $18. Shit. A pound of bacon is $40. And just, like, cans of soup are, like, $10. Is it just hard to get things there? So, number one, it's hard to get things there. With the Arctic climate, they right. can't grow, like, fresh fruit so uh-huh. like especially things like frozen fruit are crazy expensive of up course, there of course and things have only gotten worse due to the war in ukraine yeah because if you think about it some of those arctic regions like we think about the world as this Linear, flat map yeah. but like they're arctic is pretty close <laughs> together and they're close to you russia and ukraine and like so a lot of their trade routes trade routes are really disrupted right now and then they're still, you know, kind of reeling from the supply chain disruptions from COVID. Right. And then it's general inflation. Mm-hmm. So we think we're paying a lot. They're paying a lot. And now they're paying even more. I mean, I paid it's $33 awful. for a cheap bag of dog food the other yeah. day. And I thought that I, I was scandalized. Katie, I was scandalized. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But Kira just doesn't. Maybe it's Kyra. So. It's either Kyra or Kira. I don't know. But she doesn't just talk about the negative. She also shares uh, traditional food and she shares recipes. And she's like, this is what we eat. This is how we prepare food. And like the food that her people eat. And she'll she'll share photos of like how beautiful her hometown is and the sunsets. And like, so I just want to point that out because it's not all negative. She's like, I love being here. I love my people. But like also like it's fucked up the way that like we're treated like right. <laughs> like right now things are falling to shit yeah and then there is sheena novalinga she has become famous for reviving indigenous throat singing with her mother caroline traditional inuit throat singing involves two people usually women facing each other and they use their throat belly and diaphragm to expel sounds the two participants go back and forth, mashing their partner's rhythm until one goes silent or starts laughing. <laughs> she also teaches people about traditional Inuit food preparation and clothing, and Sheena has also shined a light on traditional face tattoos. She drew them on her own face for a very long time, but recently she got them permanently put on by a fellow Inuit woman. They are called Tunilit and Kakenlit. And she has one line on her chin that she says represents womanhood, and it pays respect to the women in her life. And she has long triangle ones on her cheeks that she says represents something personal. She also talks about the history of colonization and the boarding schools and, of course, the current issue of missing and murdered indigenous women, which we have done a whole episode on. Yes. She educates people, she inspires other Inuit women to be proud of their heritage, and she also uses her platform to raise money. In December of 2020, she raised over $12,000 for a women's shelter in Quebec. But Sheena has not posted in a little while, because like many people in her community, and communities like hers across this 
Arctic area, um, she recently tried to take her own life. I'm not going to dive into it too much because that is Sheena's story, but I wanted to end this story with her because I first learned about Sedna from her Instagram. She made a video about her, and I was like, I've never heard of that goddess. So without her, this episode wouldn't have happened, and without her, millions of people would know a whole lot less about Inuit culture. Mm. So I, we are wishing her all the best and a slow, steady recovery. And I hope that she realizes how important she is yeah. to the world. And also be fucking kind on the internet, guys. <laughs> My God. Seriously. Like, uh, I mean, so. you know, just north and central and south like american indigenous people like mm -hmm. the culture is just so gone yeah it's mm -hmm. it's really terrible um so i'm glad to hear that like obviously being from like the united states i know a lot more about like the east coast communities who were right. like moved west but i don't know a lot about the communities that are in present-day canada mm -hmm. exactly so um but yeah so i would really recommend following some of these instagram like they're really beautiful, you know, and like there's this really wonderful post where like Sheena goes into a store and like she was like, I'm on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. As, like a change maker. Like this is so crazy. Yeah. Just follow um, more indigenous people on uh, all social medias. I just yeah. think it's important that we get those voices because oh, we're, yeah. I mean, we can, we're going to lose a lot of culture if we don't start like really recording some of this shit. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about like. Honestly, like we talk a lot of shit about like the internet and like, mm -hmm. you know, all the harm it does. But like, I think this is such a good thing. Right. Like, I love like the Native American like dancers that yeah. like show videos of them like doing these traditional dances. And it's so cool. And the costumes and like everything about it. It's just, I don't know. It's really neat. And I love it. I have to put up, I'm going to put it on our Instagram probably one day this week, but I took a screenshot of. Um, uh, a college student this week, an indigenous woman college student who ran her entire race. Her name is Sydney Little Lights. Um, in parentheses, Crow would be her indigenous uh -huh. title. She ran her entire race with the missing indigenous woman handprint, like on her face. <gasps> That's like a whole thing. Yeah. Like, they the, go to races and they do that. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. Because you like, you're going to be yeah. photographed and like yeah. people who don't know that that's a symbol are going to learn something. Yep. So I don't know. It's just a really cool, um, thing that came up on my Instagram this week. And it's yeah. like, that's the type of stuff I want to see. Like, show me more. Yep. Exactly. Because yeah. you have to keep these things in people's minds. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, we talked about it in a whole episode. Indigenous women are still being absolutely slaughtered. And right. the police don't fucking care. And they don't investigate it. And it's infuriating. I just yeah. watched a Yellowstone episode about it. <gasps> um, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the percentage, just look up the percentages yeah. of missing and murdered indigenous women. It is terrifying. Staggering. Um, okay. So okay. now I think we need to talk about these two women in a little <laughs> segment we like to call just the two of us. This one's definitely a little harder. Um, but I think one thing that is really different about them is that, you know, Sedna had these personal tragedies mm -hmm. and then she is 
producing the sea creatures like all alone she's mm-hmm. kind of like in charge of this and i think a lot of people think that mia ham was carrying her team yeah. all alone but she wasn't she yeah. had like a, a huge a really supportive family and a huge group of powerful women and coaches with her all the time yeah well i think that that was something that i noticed was like they're both powerhouses but like Sedna has this part in the beginning of her story where she's seen as a victim Mm. you know and then she becomes very powerful but Mia Hamm has always been seen as this powerhouse and she's almost not allowed to show like the softer side of her oh sure she always has to be winning she always has to be on and especially because they both are representing these things that are so much bigger than themselves. Right. You know, I mean, Mia is the face of women's soccer and she, well, she was for so long. And if she had been an asshole or if she had been not nice to work with and not nice to be a team member with, you know, everything would have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way with Sedna. It's like, she is the face of, of the ocean, the Arctic Ocean, and all of these animals. Which is the most important food source yes. there. <laughs> you know, and obviously, like, sports, professional soccer, that is a luxury that we enjoy. But it has very real consequences. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, mm-hmm. women see themselves in these women. I saw myself in Mia Ham. Inuit women today still see themselves in Sedna. They see themselves as survivors, not only of maybe some trauma or a generational trauma, but also just the harsh conditions that they live in. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like food sources and yeah. how to respect your food and use your food. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, and I think, I think both, both women really showed how you rise above your circumstances mm-hmm. and show control. I, I felt like, a lot of episodes that we've done and we've done several people like the Williams sisters and Catherine Switzer and obviously now Mia Hamm. Like I think female sports keep getting their fingers cut off. Yeah. And we talked about I it a totally little bit agree. with like the female soccer league. They didn't even give it a chance. Yeah. They don't even want to give a chance to the women's teams who are winning, mm-hmm. get paid so much less than the male teams that are losing because <laughs> they just don't get a chance They They cut it off before the budget even tries. Exactly. It's like women are trying to get into the fucking kayak and they just keep cutting their fucking fingers and wrists and arms off. And it's so infuriating. Right. Because like you said, it's like boys are wearing women's jerseys now because they're fucking winners. Yeah. But we don't pay them like winners. No. It's Mia Hamm made $85,000 a year when she was on the team, the DC Freedoms. That's what I make. (laughs) That's insane. Ridiculous. I know. That's crazy. And it's almost this thing of like, we, ex- we almost expect women to be humbler than men. And like, obviously like me, it was just naturally a very like humble person, right. always trying to like, you know, encourage the idea of like, it wasn't just me, mm-hmm. the whole team, no matter what, <laughs> what they said. And I like that Sedna in her spirit is like trying to remind people to be humble you know and kind of like don't forget who gives you your fucking food Mm -hmm. it's me so like (laughs) hi it's me (laughs) i'm the producer it's me (laughs) i'm the goddess it's me (laughs) you know it's like she's like respect that animal Mm -hmm. respect the things that we are doing to that animal and its body like actually it's funny because i looked at the um kyra 
or Kira, I looked at her Instagram, which is not as active as her TikTok, but mm-hmm. I don't have TikTok. Um, and one of the videos she posted was like, she was like, people comment on my thing all this, all the time. They're like, how dare you? Like, you know, like native you know, Canadians and like, you know, Inuit people, they club seals to death and they like, you know, kill whales. And like, she's like, these are ancient practices that we're doing. Right. And like, and again, with that spirit of Sedna, it's like, they largely, I can't speak for every single person, but uh-huh. like they respect where they're food is coming from and their warmth and like all the parts of the animal they try and use as much as possible because Sedna has taught them respect. And it's also subsistence, subsistence farming, not yeah. commercial farming exactly. of animals. Like yeah. the, it's such a different process. Like people yeah. who insult like that are thinking like, Oh my gosh, they're going to start farming seals. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I also love that. Like, both of these women made people change their actions. You know, Mia Hamm, literally, I mean, she got so many young girls into soccer. Oh, yeah. We have her to thank for that, mm-hmm. honestly. And I feel like Sedna made people respect animals. Like, she's like, you will dance for me. You will sing to me. Like, you will go into a trance and comb my hair with a fucking comb. Like, <laughs> you're going to do it. Because if the you're boys can't do get it. it done, I can get it done. Yeah. And that's how you become a legend. Right. These are legendary Wheaties box women. legendary. Wheaties box, <laughs> the queen of the ocean, because women get to tell stories. Right. That is our gift. It is our privilege. It is our honor to keep telling these stories. And it's what gets me so amped up about this whole show sometimes. It's like I feel like I'm engaging in this tradition of like continuing people's stories that like maybe get lost. Maybe w- – Maybe young girls today are growing up and have no fucking clue who Mia Hamm is. Right. Because Megan Rapinoe is their new Right. Their girl. Yeah. yeah. And Megan Rapinoe is representing a whole new generation of girls who have short pink hair and mm-hmm. are queer and are cool and like just like a very di- – Megan Rapinoe is not the girl next door. <laughs> right. No. She's very different from the Mia Hamm yeah. and image, I love, which is what we need now. Yeah. And I love that both can exist. And I love that both can be fucking superstars and that we can wear jerseys with both of them on it. And we can have gorgeous artwork of Sedna that we look at and we're like, what a powerful fucking goddess. And I don't know. I just, I love these women who are earning the respect of literally nations of people. Right. It's so demanding it. This is the thing. It's demanding respect. Right. And I love that. Yeah. These are some great women. I didn't know how that was going to come together there at the end, but we did all oh, right. I was writing a lot of notes. Okay. Oh, I left my thing in the other room with my toast. That's okay. That's all right. All right. Who would you like to toast this evening? I just want to toast the people who are getting it done when no one's watching. Mm-hmm. I think that is just the coolest and most important thing. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. Mm what you do in the dark that puts you in the light you know i edit this fucking podcast in the dark (laughs) (laughs) that's all i do now (laughs) i am going to toast the women scorned i feel like sedna put up with a lot of fucking shit oh yeah and she was just trying to live her life and (laughs) (laughs) we're trying to intervene and just people keep cutting her fingers off and i just want to toast her and toast the current Inuit women who are 
being scorned by this fucked up system that they're living in. Right. Because they are still doing a great job and I respect <sighs> the hell out of them. Yes. Cheers. Cheers to a woman scorn. Mm. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So I mentioned this last week on Patreon just a little bit because I was talking about home projects. But my sister sent this amazing YouTube video to me that uh-huh. I love. It's 27 minutes. Okay. It's worth the watch, but it's called Why Everything is So Ugly, <laughs> Ugly: The Curse of Modernism. And it's about why you should do better at painting your house and stop making it gray because it's stupid. I love it. And it's a great YouTube video. You know what? I will say I am a very uh, gray beige modern person and the person before me was not in my mm-hmm. house and he has a lot of cool funky colors in the house and like I have kept them. Yeah. It's like I'm like I need I want to paint my little kitchen so bad because it is like teal blue. <laughs> I love your I kitchen. I know you do. <laughs> it's so, Everybody does. It's but I'm so like, pretty. I'm like it's so bright. No it's wonderful. <laughs> Just put more shit on the walls. So, you won't see it. Yeah. <laughs> Also, shout out to Jen Peacock this week, a good friend of ours. Yes. She has been throwing furniture out left and right, and she lives on the corner of my street. <laughs> and last night, Casey and I were walking the dogs, and she was throwing out a gorgeous corner cabinet. And you took it. I took it this morning. Of, of course I was like, you did. 6 a.m. I'm like, Casey, we're getting the cabinet just in case somebody picks it up. And he goes, Katie, no one comes on our street. <laughs> No one's picking it up. I thought you were going to say congratulations to her because she's currently four years sober. Yes, also that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Also that. Jen, you're a hero and we love you. Thanks for and the furniture the and furniture for staying there. sober. But it's funny because we picked up a couch from her recently too. Not mm. for our house, but Paige is going to um, reupholster it and stuff. But anyways, my promo this week is not the corner of Goodwood Road. Um, <laughs> Don't tell people where you live, Katie. That's bleep it out. Really weird. <laughs> All right. <laughs> They don't know the number. Um, okay. I'm going to promote this song, Flowers, by Miley Cyrus. Speaking of women scorned. Honestly. I know. I know. Yeah. You know. It's so good. That song is incredible. Yeah. The music video, iconic. Her doing those exercises. I was like, I guess I should be doing these weird push-up leg band things because she looks amazing. Right. I love all the little clues that people are finding in the video about her, you know, breakup with Liam Hemsworth. Unreal. But frankly, none of it even matters because the song is so fucking good. It's so catchy that like, shout out to a woman scorned, shout out to Miley Cyrus. I fucking love her. She I lived love this through song. the awkwardest, weird years of her life in the full-blown public and had to transition from being a Disney star to an adult star without a lot of help. Yeah. I mean, there were people actively working against her. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I just like really feel for her as a human. I think that she is in the fucking golden years right now of her life. And I think that this, because she's been doing a lot of covers and stuff in yes. the past couple years, and which I been love. Great. So I good. love them. But now I feel like she's kind of like back in that vibe of telling her own story again. And I just love that. I listen to it all the time. She's really good. The day I'm really came, into her. The day it came out, I listened to it like five times. And then I came to your daughter's basketball game and I was sitting there with your other daughter. And I was like, have you heard that song yet? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you middle school. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. She was like, I think so. <laughs> she doesn't care. No, she doesn't care about anything. Why is she so much cooler than I us? I don't it's know. It's upsetting. <laughs> so anyways, 
That's that. It's been lovely. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, We love you. And we want you to join us on all the things. We're on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And you can follow us on Tipsy Tuesdays or Wanna Drink Wednesdays. Like, because (laughs) like this week, I forgot to post yesterday. Um, And at some point, if I get my shit together this week, there's going to be an ad at the beginning of the show for our 200th episode in March. (gasps) Yes, because we're doing an event. Yeah. Patreon gets first dibs. So if you want to join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you can hear more about our live show and you can get little perks and just support the show if you like it. Yeah. You can buy us a drink. It's It's so fun. That's how I like to think of it. Yeah. Just one drink. (laughs) One drink. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much. And if you wouldn't mind, go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a little rate, a little review. That would go a long way. Yes, it would. Uh, We would love it. And But most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't join organized sports teams. (laughs) And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.